This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Great to welcome you back. If there is any biblical figure known for his courage and perseverance in prayer, it has to be Daniel. He was taken into captivity, as you know, by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And when King Darius decreed that anybody who prayed to any god or human being besides him during the next 30 days should be thrown into the lion's den, Daniel prayed like he always did. And when you really take a look at Daniel's prayer life, and in particular at his prayer in Daniel 9, the prayer for his people, it is obvious that Daniel's heart for the Lord and his burden to pray is exactly what we need today, especially given all the turmoil and danger and cultural collapse that surrounds us. His was a prayer of desperation, and we need to offer God the same kind of prayer today. So that's what we're going to be talking about today with Ann Graham Lotz. Ann is the founder and president of Angel Ministries and is coming out with a new book very soon, The Daniel Prayer, Prayer That Moves Heaven and Changes Nations. And it's so good to talk to you again, Ann. How are you? Janet, thank you. I'm I'm well, and I appreciate the thorough introduction. Daniel is a wonderful person, and you know his prayer was not only a prayer of desperation, but um, what we call reverse thunder, where he took God's word and prayed it back to him. So yes. it was a a very powerful prayer. That's right. Now we could look to all sorts of examples in Scripture, obviously about prayer. Why single out Daniel? Why do you think Daniel is the one we need to think about? Well, for me, it was just the one I was thinking about. You know. Um, came across this prayer with just uh, some intensity about 15 years ago, and about three years ago, I just became more burdened for prayer. And, and to be honest, Janet, uh, I'm not a prayer. You know, some people are prayer warriors, you know, and they just, and I've never been one of those. Prayer has been a fight for me, a struggle. And so about three years ago, when God began to uh, just compel me to pray at a deeper level, more serious, for um, for America and for Israel, for revival in the church, those were the three things that were just burning in my heart. And then I revisited the Daniel prayer and felt that his prayer was one, the pattern in his prayer. And what he prayed was very relevant um, as we pray for one, for our nation, for America. But um, you, you can use it for, you know, a situation in your own life. If um, you, life throws you a curveball, if, you know, your spouse walks out or your child is picked up on drugs or if you're diagnosed with a dreadful disease and you have a, a heart's cry, like a, a desperation, but it's more than just screaming at God. It's taking God's word and his promise that he gives you, and then you pray it back to him and you hold him to his word. And that's what Daniel did for his whole nation. Right. And God heard his prayer and answered his prayer. That's right. Well, when we look at what's going on in our own nation, obviously a lot of us are extremely concerned. We've never seen things, many of us say this, many, we've never seen things as bad as they are in America right now. We doubt that God will turn things around. We look at the fact that Romans 1 is very particular in God's judgment on nations, and we might be one of those that is really outlined there in Romans chapter 1. Where do you come down? on, you know, the, the ideas of judgment, where we are as a nation right now, and what God is doing. You know, I think um, I would agree that when I look at our nation, we're imploding. We are disintegrating morally, spiritually, but now on just about every other level, because when you remove God from 
society, which we've done uh, through removing him from the schools, from the marketplace, the businesses, the government, you begin to abandon God, then Romans 1 indicates that he abandons you. You know, He just he, he backs away. And I think with tears in his eyes, because he knows what happens to a nation when he abandons them. But, but God will not force himself on a nation. And so as America, in a sense, shakes her fist in God's face and becomes more defiant in her... Um, sin, and not just individual sin, but, but now it's national sin, it's legalized sin, it's institutional sin, it's political, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Then God backs away, and he gives us over to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Romans 1, that's the judgment, where God backs away, and he just turns us over to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing in our nation, I think, the confusion, the silliness, the things don't work, um, it's becoming very dangerous, it's like anarchy on the streets, and apathy in the leadership and you know look our arrogance in the leadership apathy in the church you know you just see so many um and we just think how can people why don't people wake up and i I believe it's because we're just doing things our way and that's what happens in romans one god just turns us over to ourselves but but i'm one that thinks we haven't quite reached that point of no return and uh, Joel chapter 2 says that if God's people would rend our hearts and not our garments, don't just give lip service to repentance, but if we truly get on our face before God, repent of our sin, then it, and Joel says that who knows but that he would return to us and leave behind a blessing. Yes. So I think it's possible to stand in the gap for America right now and to plead with him and, and pray for our nation and that, he, that God would return to us and that we, at least God's people, would return to him and just... Um, you know, seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways that he would forgive our sin and heal our land. That's right. You know, and that's the theme. When you look at Daniel chapter nine, here is Daniel beginning this where he says, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, obviously, which is a very desperate, you know, description of the kind of the the mental condition he was in when he was going to the Lord pleading for his people. But there's so much in this prayer about you know, repentance and my people have wandered away from you, Lord, and my people have sinned. How do you see that theme in our own day on display? Well, you know, the the one thing I love about the Daniel prayer is that he didn't point his fingers at his nation. You know, like, God, can you believe how awful they are? And they've gone into idolatry and they've rejected your prophets. He used plural pronouns. Yeah. So he said, our sin and our shame. And and I think as we look at our nation, you know, if if Christians can just stop being judgmental and stop being self-righteous and stop, you know, pointing our finger at them. And, and I'm one who tends to do that. I, you know, I catch the news online or on TV, and I think, I can't believe they just did that. Yeah. They just decide that, you right. know, and I just, oh, my goodness. And uh, I'm from North Carolina, and yeah. I say that almost every day when I read the paper, what they're doing with our HB2 bill. Yep. And <laughs> it's amazing what's going on. And so I know the tendency, but I think we have to go deeper than that and say, you know, what we're seeing is evidence of rebellion in the human heart against God. And just to say, God, I'm so ashamed, you know, I'm so sorry. And I think the church, Janet, has a lot, um, you know, a lot of uh, share in the guilt and the blame because we've not been the salt and the light that we should have been. And so I feel like the church needs to get back to giving a clear sound on the trumpet and presenting the truth and, and the love of God for sinners. God loves sinners. Yes. You know, he, um, and I, I love in Daniel where Daniel says, God, you've taken us into judgment and Jerusalem is destroyed. We've never seen anything like this happen to a nation before, but God, you were right. He said, you're righteous when you did this. So, so Daniel saying God did the right thing to allow 
Nebuchadnezzar to go in and destroy Jerusalem. Mm. And so God is righteous, but then in the next verse, Daniel says, but you're loving and forgiving and merciful and have mercy on us, you know, mm. restore us to our land and to our faith in you. And so I see that at the cross where the righteousness of God demands judgment for sin, but his love and mercy demanded that he step in and take the judgment for us. Wow. So when we look at our nation... And we are just provoking God's judgment. I just, and He is righteous, and that's how I know we're coming under judgment because His character demands that He would uh, judge our sin. But at the same time, He's loving and merciful. And if we just plead to Him, He's He's so tender-hearted. You know, I believe that He would turn back to us and that He would once again protect us and bless us and give us His favor. So, um, so I don't think it's too late yet, Janet. But I believe we're reaching that tipping point. I, I honestly believe we're dangerous close to reaching a point where there'll be no return and and judgment will fall. Do you hear any Christians saying to you, America is a lost cause. Why even fight for it? It's not like it's God's holy nation like Israel was. We should just pray for the church and pray that we'll be good outcasts and glorify God in our isolation. I mean, I hear people talking like this. Um, I don't move in those circles. I'm thankful that I don't. What I hear, I hear two things. One, I hear people that are waking up and they're getting it. And the other, I hear people that don't even, they just think we're sort of in a modern progressive era. Yeah. And they just think we're sort of going through a cycle. And and I, I uh, in fact, I talked to one this morning and I just am almost astounded at how someone who calls themselves a Christian can be so asleep. Yeah. So, um, so I, I guess those are the two that I find that the sleepy ones <laughs> or the ones who are waking up and think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know? and, um, but I think the ones who are saying, oh, my goodness, I'm afraid I'd, I'm concerned that we would turn to man. And in this election year, we would turn to politics. And if we're coming under the judgment of God, politics will not solve it. Finances will not solve it. Education won't. Only yeah. God can solve our issues. Absolutely. And Graham Lotz with me. We're talking about Daniel and prayer. And we'll be back. Stay with us. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. 
Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We're back on Janet Mefford today. Ann Graham Lotz is with me, and I'm so glad she's here. The Daniel Prayer is her upcoming book, and we're talking a little bit about how Daniel's prayer of desperation, particularly in Daniel chapter 9, can really serve to teach us a lot about why we need to pray today. And I was kind of laughing, Ann, when I was asking you the question, what do we do about these Christians who say America's a lost cause, we're under judgment, why even pray? And you said, I don't really move in those circles. I said, Ann, I need to move in your circles more often, I think, I do need to, I do hear that. But on the other hand, when we look at Daniel 9, we see so many things in that prayer. What do you draw out from the attitude of Daniel? Just as a human being, here he was back in chapter 6 where he was so brave, kept on praying, even though there was a decree that he'd die if he kept doing it. What do you draw from Daniel as one of God's people who just absolutely trusted in the Lord? You know, uh, that was maybe one of the more convicting parts of his story for me. And it was when his life was threatened if he prayed anymore because the issue had gone out that you could only pray to the, the king at the time, Darius. And and Daniel opened his window towards Jerusalem, which didn't even exist anymore, but he was just, you know, staying focused, looking towards home. And and then he uh, got down on his knees and um, and he gave thanks to God. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. You know, this is a man he's been a slave for 67 years. He's been physically brutalized, emasculated. He's been indoctrinated. He's been forced to, you know, be a a servant to Nebuchadnezzar, do whatever Nebuchadnezzar wants. And not only Nebuchadnezzar, but then Darius and Belshazzar and and Cyrus. And and so this is a man whose life was not his own. And, And every day, three times a day, he went upstairs, knelt down, and gave thanks. And I thought, you know, is that my attitude when life throws me a curveball, when <laughs> things are not going right, when I look at our nation melting down, do I give thanks to God? And and it's interesting, Janet, in Romans 1, that's one of the first evidences of that downward slide in the judgment. It's when we refuse to give thanks to God, yes. when we don't acknowledge Him and we don't give thanks. And so I want to develop that attitude of gratitude, as it's been called, yeah. and just keep my focus on God and thank Him for His blessings. And... Uh, and he, you know, there are blessings all around us. So Daniel kept his focus on the God of heaven. In fact, he never lost his focus. He was an amazing man. He really was. And as a result, there were four emperors. Well, Belshazzar, I, I guess you could include him in this, but there were four emperors that acknowledged that Daniel's God was God, mm-hmm. you know, the, the living God of all the earth. And they gave testimony to the greatness of Daniel's God because of what they saw in Daniel's life. That's very true. That's a really significant insight that, that, that occurred when you read through the book of Daniel. When, when you're talking about Christians who are really concerned about the nation and are really worried about the future, I hear a lot of people worried about their kids, worried about their grandkids, what kind of nation will we have in the future? 
There seems to be this idea that if we don't pray the right way, maybe God won't listen. How do we pray? What should we pray for? I'm scared I'll be praying the wrong things. What do you think we ought to be praying for? Uh, well, let me let me uh, backtrack just for a moment and say that God hears every prayer. I mean, He can. God is God. He can hear any prayer He chooses. But we're only guaranteed an answer when we come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Right. So it's very important that we make sure we've established that personal relationship with Jesus by coming to the cross by faith, confessing we're sinners, asking God to forgive us, claiming Jesus as God's sacrifice, that, that atoning sacrifice for our sin, and then inviting him to come into our lives as our Lord. And when you do that, Jesus said you're born again into God's family, and one of your rights is the right of prayer, you know, entering into God's presence 24-7 and, and just bringing to him whatever is on your heart. So... So I feel feel like you need to make sure first things have been taken care of. And the first thing is Amen. make sure you have a personal relationship with God. And Amen. then, you, you know, I read God's Word and pray God's Word back to Him. So my prayer time consists of being in God's Word and letting God speak to me. Just reading His Word as I'm listening for His voice, claiming a scripture, and then talking to God about it and praying it back. And, and that's what... Jer- um, Daniel did. He was reading the book of Jeremiah, and he came across a promise that God said, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back from captivity. And Daniel had been in captivity 67 years, and he just does a quick calculation and knows in three more years, you know, God has promised to release his people. And so he begins to pray for his nation in accordance with God's word. So for for people like me who don't exactly you know, if we don't know how to pray, we don't feel like we're good prayers. There are prayers in Scripture. The Psalms are prayers that you can pray. Daniel's prayer is what I'm using in this book as a pattern for prayer for our nation. And then in the back of the book, I went ahead and wrote prayers, a prayer for each section of the book to just show people how they can take Daniel's example and use it as their own prayer. And then I give some blank pages in the back where you can write out your own prayers. And, And writing out prayers for me helps me keep my concentration. I I battle with concentrating in prayer. And so sometimes to write out my prayers just helps me keep that concentration. It doesn't mean they're any less a prayer, but they're they're just, you know, keep keep me focused as I pray because I write them out. No, I I completely relate. I like to rely on written out prayers a lot of times too, just to keep me focused and to make sure I'm saying what I want to say. Yeah, I do. I have the most wandering mind. It it drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand where you're coming from. For, For churches, right? now or for pastors who are listening who are saying I wish for example my congregation was more of a congregation that wanted to pray together you know people have lamented where have all the prayer meetings gone and so forth but what about the church and as you know a community of believers coming together and praying regularly you know I I grieve that loss too that we don't have prayer meetings I think one reason is because they became gossip sessions or they became where somebody dominated and all you're doing is hearing one person praying about, you know, Susie and my cousin this and my aunt that. And it just, so it needs strong leadership. I think a, a prayer meeting needs good, strong leadership. But I, if a pastor is listening or a church leader, let it just begin with that person. Let it begin with the pastor. Let it begin with the church leader. And uh, and then just giving some instructions to keep it short and simple and brief so that other people can pray and keep it focused um, and and don't let them go off into the gossip sessions or don't let somebody dominate. I, I remember being in a prayer group and, and I actually was praying longer than the leader thought I should pray. And so she just interrupted my prayer, <laughs> you know, and I just, whoo, and she said, keep it short, dearie. And I just, I mean, I swallowed that prayer and it was a 
it was actually a while before I could pray out loud again. Oh, wow. (laughs) But the the purpose, you know, the point was well taken, that when we're praying with other people, we need to be very conscious and considerate of them, as well as just what we're praying. But to have a prayer partner, if you just have one other person to pray with, somebody that would agree with you in prayer, that the two of you could pray together. I I just believe, Janet, that uh, when I look at our nation and And I think there's no hope for our nation politically or economically or military. All of these things, I would agree with that. But our hope is in God. And and God is the God of the impossible. And God loves our nation. I believe he wants to bless America. But he's waiting for us, I think, to see how serious we are. And and when whether or not we're going to press through and pray and fast and seek his face and repent of our sin and ask God to have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. And I believe he will hear our prayer. He promises. You know, so that Second Chronicles seven fourteen, we pray it back to him. God, you said, if your people called by your name would humble themselves, pray and seek your face, you said, if we would repent of our sin, then you said you would forgive us. You would heal our land and you would, uh, you know, bless America. So, so i I feel like we can take God's word, pray it back then, but but maybe it would help to have another person to pray with. That helps you, you know, be consistent because you're going to meet with them, say, once a week or whatever it would be. It helps you with concentration because when you're praying out loud with somebody else, you're more focused. And, um, and then just see what God would do. We, yeah. We're not going to know the difference prayer would make until we pray. That's right. And do you see, as you travel around and you talk to so many different people, do you have any sense that the Lord is beginning to call his church to pray more or to at least become more convicted that we're not praying the way we should? Um, I can only use myself, I guess, as the judge on that. I mean, you know, like what God's doing in my life. And I can tell you, Janet, that uh, he has put this on my heart with a heaviness that in, in fact, you know, I've been somebody who's given out God's word, and I would say like Jeremiah that God's word is in my bones like a fire. You know, I, I shut up in my bones. I, I'm weary of withholding it. In fact, I cannot. Mm-hmm. And now I would say not only God's word is like a fire in my bones, but the, the compulsion to pray is like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of withholding it. In, indeed, I cannot. I have to pray and pray with seriousness and earnestness for our nation and and not only for America I pray for Jerusalem I pray for Israel mm-hmm. and I pray for our world I pray for the revival of God's people that God would wake them up and that may be what San Bernardino is about or yeah. Brussels or Paris you know we can't ignore these wake up calls or things that are happening in our weather or in our political situation they're wake up calls God is telling the church I believe to wake up and it's time to hit your knees and pray because we're looking I believe we're looking at the end of human history as we know it I I believe everything is ratcheting up uh, preparing for the return of Jesus but before he comes back it's going to get really ugly well, I agree with you. I agree with you. The, just this week, you might have seen this story. I was talking about this earlier on the show, the fact that there is this church in Michigan that had its website hacked by an ISIS group and was threatening them. And I said, this is America, folks. This isn't Nigeria or Afghanistan or Syria. This is the United States. And I wonder if we really understand the wake-up call that God is giving us. Yes. And I, I want to understand it and, and respond to it before something like that happens. Right. You know, we, we can avert it, we can avoid it if we would pray. And, I, and that, that actually is, I guess, my greatest fear that something drastic would happen to our nation, whether it's a nuclear strike or ISIS popping up all over the place or something really, uh, econ- the economy collapsing, and to know that 
I sensed something bad was coming, but I didn't do anything about it. Mm. And I believe something is about ready to break, and, and something's getting ready to blow, and it's time for God's people to pre-prayer. Mm. It's time for us to pray before that happens. And it, and it may happen anyway, but I think it will happen to a lesser degree. I think God will protect us in many ways. He will soften it. Uh, or he may even prevent it from happening at all. But we won't know that until we really pray. That's exactly right. So you can go back to Daniel 9 and you can pray that prayer of Daniel and you can also use God's word all over the word of God to pray back to him. But the point is, as you say, and we must pray. Well, the name of the book, The Daniel Prayer and Graham Lots, and always a privilege. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Janet. God bless you. Take care. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Meffer Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Meffer. We are back on Janet Meffer today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Well, this is a great description of a good friendship. Two people who make each other better and help one another in times of need. What does it mean to have a good friend and to be a good friend? We're going to explore it today with Michelle Howe. She is joining me now to talk about her book called Navigating the Friendship Maze. Michelle, welcome. So good to have you with us. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. Will you talk about a biblical friendship? What exactly is a biblical friendship? How would you define that? You know, people define it different ways, but I would say I go to two different passages of Scripture immediately, and I think of Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, where it discusses the fruits of the Spirit. You know, that each of us should always be growing in our love joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all those different wonderful characteristics that the Holy Spirit's always developing in us. And the second passage is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You know, and it isn't just about friendships, but just in general, are we exhibiting patience, kindness, not being envious? We don't boast, we're not proud, we're not self-seeking. You can really study each one of these characteristics and attributes and say, am I you know, growing in those areas, and am I exhibiting those verbally and with actions toward the people that I call my friends? You know, and I think you really have to do a self-check pretty often to say, hey, you know, I want to be that kind of friend to somebody else, and I want those kind of friends building into my life as well. Right. Well, it's interesting, this whole concept of friendship becomes a little complicated in the digital age. I have a lot of friends from many, many years that I've had them around, and we are mainly in contact digitally just because of the pace of life. But I've heard a lot of women comment on the fact that it's hard at a certain stage in life, maybe when you have small children or your kids get a little bit older, it's harder and harder to find a good friend. Have you talked to women about that issue, about the difficulty of making friends as you get older and how it's just more challenging sometimes because of time constraints? Absolutely. And I think what you just said at the outset is it's ironically social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and all those different, you know, sites that you can get on multiple times a day 
can make you feel that you're connected to people you care about. They can, because I can get on and see what my cousin in Texas is doing, what his grandkids are doing, you know, and feel like, oh, I have a real bead on what's happening in his life. But, you know, nothing replaces sitting across from the table or, you know, looking at someone in their eyes, sharing a cup of coffee or a meal, and really honing in on what they're not saying, as mm. well as what they're saying, you know, really looking at those nonverbal cues. I mean, that's when you're developing a real good relationship with somebody. And I agree, the busier we get, the more we can kid ourselves into thinking, well, I have, you know, all these Facebook friends, or I'm on Instagram, <laughs> and I can see what everybody's doing. But it doesn't replace real-life interaction. And, you know, moms with kids, you know, I was there, I have four little kids, and, you know, I, I couldn't keep up with my kids hardly, let alone keep developing new friendships. And then my kids got into junior high and high school and college, and now they're all grown and gone. However, my life is just as busy, so it's not ever going to change. We're never not going to be busy, and I think we just have to prioritize relationships. Yes, I agree. Because just because they call them Facebook friends doesn't mean they're all friends. You can't have 900 friends. It's just not possible to have that kind of deep level of friendship with that many people. And that's part of the problem, too. I think for a lot of Christian women, they want a deep friendship. They don't just want a series of shallow you know, associations with other women where you're not really getting to the heart of it. What advice would you give to women about making a really good friend and setting, you know, down the, 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 all of the factors for being able to develop a deep friendship? Well, I think the first thing is you have to become and grow into the kind of friend you want. You know, you've got to be that person first. You know, I see a lot of women who say, I just can't make friends. And I'll, I'll start saying, well, have you invited anybody over to your home? Have you invited anybody out for coffee? Have you exercised with anybody? I mean, in your volunteer activities, have you tried to, you know, offer the hand, hand of friendship to any of those women that you think you might click with? And, you know, a lot of times they'll say, no, no, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. And then I'll mm-hmm. say, well... You have to make the overture because, you know, often we always assume everybody's so busy, they don't have time for me. Well, if you become that friendly friend, you'll find that friends will start coming into your life. And then let's say you just moved to a new city and you really don't know many people and you get into a church, you know, you talk to the pastor, you talk to the women's leader, and they pretty much have an idea of who makes up their congregation, who's coming every week, and, you know, just share your heart and say, hey, I'm looking for deep, good friendships, you know, those iron-sharpening iron friendships. And, you know, they will help you because they want the people that, you know, they're, that are under them and with them to, to develop strong relationships as well. Right. Well, then what what should you look for in a friend? I think sometimes this can be extremely subjective, but what would you advise a woman to look for if she's in that stage of life where maybe she's moved to a new town and she's trying to meet some new people and maybe, you know, this is a difficult thing to start just from from scratch trying to find a new friend. What do you look for in somebody that you want to be friends with? You know, I think you've got to look at friendships as, as relationships that you want to go the distance of your life as possible. And that means when you're just, you know, uh, hanging around people, no matter where you're at, you kind of pay attention. You watch how they're interacting with others. And I'll never forget what Paul Tripp said. He said, people will reveal to you who they are if you watch them carefully and long enough. Because a person who, let's say, is disloyal or backbiting or selfish or even hateful, if you see them acting that way toward others, you can guarantee that if you get in a relationship with them, eventually those bad behaviors will fall on you. And we always like to think, no, we're the exception. If we tread carefully, if we're sensitive to their, you know, touchy issues, blah, blah, blah. 
but it doesn't happen. After a while, we be, you know, that, that real person just tends to come out. So that's kind of a warning, you know, red bell kind of thing. You're just, just be an observer for a bit and watch. But also ask yourself, what women can you admire? What women have their focus of really honoring the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out? You know, that long obedience in the same direction. Watch for those women. And if you can get excited about being in their presence, You know, it might be an older woman, it might be a peer, it might be a younger gal. really doesn't matter about their age. Just keep saying, hey, are we on the same trajectory in life? And, you know, those kind of women will stand out to you. Right. Should you necessarily look for somebody who's like you or maybe for somebody who's not so much like you, who would be more of a compliment to your personality? Well, I like to think of my husband. We're we're alike but different, and we're going to be almost married 34 years. But I will tell you that he's strong where I'm weak, and I'm strong where he's weak. So in that same kind of relationship, you want friends who are not your mirror images because, you know, I like to be around people who are different than me because they help me laugh more. I mean, I tend to be too serious. I'm an introvert. So I've got several friends who are extroverts, and you know what? They lighten me up. And I need that. I need to be able to laugh and have fun more than I do. So, you know, look for friends who, like you said, compliment you. You know, my strengths are your weakness and vice versa. And also, when you get a variety of friends with different personalities and different gifts and talents, you know, it really adds a richness to your life rather than if you're just trying to pick little clones of you out Mm -hmm. where you can have this little tight-knit community where no one disagrees with anybody and you're all kind of the same, you really can get stuck. You know, God created us so different and beautifully different that I think, uh, you know, diversity is just a wonderful thing in friendships. Well, it is. Now, another thing that you address is the concept of frenemies. Who would be a frenemy and how do you avoid those frenemies? Well, you know, first you have to identify this kind of person. And I remember years ago having a gal that I would have called my friend, but every time I left her presence, I felt shamed. I felt like I wasn't a good enough wife, not a good enough mother. I wasn't making good ministry choices. You know, I just was never enough. And I remember my husband saying to me, every time you leave her presence, you're in a bad mood. Why? Hmm. And he kind of helped me unpack that. Because I never saw her as a friend of me. But, you know, after I really kind of stepped back and I started looking at the kind of conversations we had and how she really um, brought me down. And I'm a pretty strong personality, so that took a lot for her to consistently just, you know, douse the flames on whatever idea I had or just any ideas, you know, that I was just tossing around with her. I thought, you know, that is not a good friend because my, my good friends you know, will listen to me, you know, see the good, bad, and the ugly, but they'll always say, okay, I get what you're feeling. I understand your struggle, but here's what God's Word says. Let's work on it together. And they buoy you up. And you said, iron sharpening iron. You know, you can be honest with each other. Not that you are correcting one another all the time, but if it needs to happen, boy, your good friends are the ones who can handle doing it. I love it. Michelle Howe is with us navigating the friendship maze, and we'll come back on Janet Meffer today. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. 
This is a story of a young mom in crisis who felt alone and desperate when finding out she was pregnant. After meeting with the counselors at Preborn and seeing her baby on ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat, she knew that life was the best choice. My mind changed completely from the abortion the first time that I visited. When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, eight out of ten times, she'll choose life. I know God wouldn't have wanted me to just throw out my blessings like that. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you please join Preborn in providing love and support for young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. Just call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. From Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes a new documentary, The Jesus Music. Jesus Music found its way in my hometown and it changed my life. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. Featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music, including Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mack, and Kirk Franklin. The Jesus Music, now playing. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for being with us. And my guest is Michelle Howe, author of Navigating the Friendship Maze, The Search for Authentic Friendship. And I think we can all relate to this. You really want to be able to find good, lifelong friends if you can. And sometimes it's easier said than done. But Michelle is giving us some good tips. One of the things you talk about in your book, Michelle, is the issue of principles for every friendship. What are you talking about there, the two principles? You know, I, I'd like, like as I said earlier, I really liked women to think about trying to develop relationships that can go, you know, for the, the long haul of life. Not a little sprint, but a marathon. You know, an, an enduring friendship, a biblical friendship means that you don't only stand the test of time, they stand the test of forgiving one another, hmm. of helping one another, of biblically challenging one another, you know, of enduring hardship and disappointment together as well as the flip side as enjoying all the wonderful bonuses of life, like celebrating and laughing and enjoying leisure activity. You know, it's doing all of life together, good, bad, and everything in between with honesty, with integrity, and with the transparency that, you know, you can kind of look at your friend and you don't always even need to talk. You just get each other. Right. And that's what a lot of a great peer peer friendship is because you're in the same season, you're battling the same challenges, maybe in your marriage and with your kids or vocationally or in your ministry, whatever it is, you just kind of get each other. But, you know, I, I like to encourage women to not give up on women who've hurt them. And this isn't about a frenemy. This is about somebody who maybe misspoke or maybe said something harsh to you or maybe disagreed with you or even, you know, you felt maybe was a little disloyal. You, know, you got to try and work through those things because every relationship is going to have its bumps and bruises. And you can't just say hit the road to everybody who hurts you because, you know, I unintentionally hurt people. People unintentionally hurt me. It's part of being human and we're sinful creatures. So we have to be able to say, okay, let's talk about this and really, you know, wrestle through to the other side where we can have a stronger relationship than before the conflict even began. I think that's good advice because I I have seen this throughout my life and some of my friends have told me stories about this where they'll make one wrong move 
And then the woman cuts them off. <laughs> They're not friends anymore. And then what that right. leads to is the woman saying, well, I'm not going to trust any more women. I mean, women can be very hard on each other in a way that we're not necessarily as hard on men. Um, you know, there's a sense of betrayal or somebody said something mean about me, these sorts of things. Why do you think it is, even with Christian women sometimes, that we're not willing to forgive? We're not willing to give somebody a break and say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect either. I think with the kind of emotions that the Lord has put inside of us, because we can love big, that when we're hurt big, it's hard. Yeah. And we're, yep. we, our hearts really break, you know, they really break. And we just think, golly, how could she have thought that about me? Or how could she have sided with so-and-so against me and not even talked to me about it? And it is a woundedness that we really feel. But then when we, you know, cry our little eyes out, go to the Lord, He gives us grace. And he always gives us grace to go back to that person gently and kindly and at least say, hey, can we talk about this? Because I think more often than not, the other person doesn't even know they wounded us. True. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I can say things and then not even get what I was saying until my husband says, oh, you sounded a little harsh right there. And I'm like, I did? I was feeling harsh. <laughs> I didn't I was mean it. rushing. You know. Yeah. Well, that's true. And and again, going back to this principle of being a good friend, I think that's the right place to start because we can't control other people, but we certainly can work on ourselves and spend time with the Lord and, and really be cognizant of those passages you talked about before Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit and the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What would you advise Christian women to do on becoming a friend who goes the distance with other friends, how do I become that sort of a friend? Well, you know, I think we all have to invest ourselves into knowing what God's Word says. And how do we do that? We read God's Word. Yes. We pray. We meditate on verses that maybe we're struggling. Maybe I'm a super impatient person. I'm type A. I want to get things done. You know, I start pulling out portions of Scripture that will help me see a bigger perspective. You know, seeing, you know, that mercy always triumphs over judgment, you know, and that, you know, I need to be patient and kind and gentle when I'm with others and really helping the Lord to renew my mind and how I respond and how I think about hot button topics in my life that are struggles for me. I mean, I can always get the real truth from my husband because he'll tell me and (laughs) I'll tell him, but you know, it's different when a friend can say, you know what, I really see you're struggling with this. Why are you so irritable right now? Why, why, why? And then, you know, more often than that, I can just you know what, you're right, because I have 50 things I'm thinking about right now, and I haven't been sleeping, and I haven't been, you know, giving God a priority. So the first thing is, you know, we have to to develop our relationship with the Lord first, Yes. you know, and really ask Him with a humble heart, show me who I really am. Not who I think I am, but who am I really? You know, we start with ourselves, and then we start branching out, and we start, you know, making a list of all the friends that we already have. You know, and kind of just praying over each name and say, Lord, you know, how can I do better? Or where do, where do I struggle with this woman yet? Or where does she struggle with me? How can we work through this? How can we be stronger as a team than as individuals? And, it, you know, it takes time. And I think we all, as Americans, want everything done fast food style. It doesn't happen that way. Our whole life we are going to be learning and growing and maturing. And we need to take this as, you know, a life long project for ourselves and for others. Right. Well, one of the other things that you talk about is this issue of speaking the word of truth out loud and often. Now, clearly you have to get to a certain stage of the friendship where you can get away with that. If you just met a woman and then you exhort her, she might never want to talk to you again. But how how Mm -hmm. do you do that when you are friends with another woman and you really need to speak the truth in love? 
How do you decide when is the time to do that and what is the right way to bring that about without losing your friend in the process? Well, I have several chapters in the book that really kind of uh, dialogue through this because I had several friends when I was a younger mom and, and even most recently who did speak into my life. You know, I had some blind spots that I literally wasn't aware of. And I remember the first time a friend, and I'd been a friend with her for a long time, but she said something to me about, I, I shouldn't have spoken that way about a family member. And it took me aback because it was clear that my family member was sinning and, and I had been sinned against and I wanted sympathy. And she loved me enough to say, you know what, I understand how you're feeling. But you know what, you're not going to get anywhere by being bitter or becoming angry. It'll eat you up. It'll ruin every relationship you have. And, and I was able to, you know, process it. But it took me a bit to get through it. And I will say, you, as you just pointed out, you can't do this with a new friend. And you shouldn't, because I think we really earn the right to speak truth into somebody's life. We really do. And the friends who've been able to do that in my life, I know they love me. I know they want what's best for me in my marriage, with my kids, with my grandkids, you know, whatever I'm doing, they are looking at my life and saying, you know what, I see this area and I don't think you would like it if you were looking at it. Let me help you travel through it to the other side. You know, and I think we all have to be, you know, asking the Lord for humility. You know, help me to be teachable. Help me to be, you know, responsive to someone when they're speaking truth into my life, and it's biblical. Now, there's a flip side to that. You'll have people who will not speak biblical truth into your life, but they will try to bring you down. And again, that's an, that's an unhealthy friendship, yes. an unhealthy relationship. And you have to be discerning enough to tell the difference. Well, the other thing that I enjoyed in the book was the kind of friend every woman needs. And you actually give some advice that women should have different types of friends, maybe older friends, younger friends. You have some peers. Why is it important, do you think, to have different kinds of women friends? Well, I I believe every woman and every man should have somebody that they can look at as a mentor. Maybe they're not meeting with them, you know, regularly or consistently, but somebody that you look at farther along in life that you can go to when you need advice, when you need counsel, when you're not sure, and you know that their life is one that's honorable and, you know, just Christ-honoring all the way through, and you pick their brain, and then they just share with you, hey, I did this right, I did this wrong, and here's what I would do if I were you. So you need somebody who's just a little bit farther along in life. And then you need peers. As we said earlier, somebody that you can look at, don't even always need to say anything and just laugh together because you get it. You're both in the same trench at the same time, and you kind of just spur each other on and say, okay, we're right in the middle of this together. We can, you know, give each other pep talks along the way. And then third, we all need somebody to build into, which is somebody a little bit, you know, you know, younger. Maybe it's a mom who's just gone through an unwanted divorce. Maybe, you know, it's a, a young widow. Maybe it's a single gal who just longs to be married. Whatever, you can help her see what's good in her life and capitalize on it and help her, you know, build contentment and purpose and give her tips along the way and say, hey, I was you 15 years ago, and God got me through that, and he's faithful. You know, you build on your own remembrances of God's faithfulness, and you place them into someone else's heart. That's really good advice because wherever you are in life, you have somebody you still need to learn from and somebody who can learn from you. And you can find a whole host of new kinds of friends when you are willing to look more broadly and have those kinds of biblical friendships. Really great advice. Well, Michelle Howe with us, the name of her book, Navigating the Friendship Maze. Michelle, such a joy to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Okay, thank you. It was a privilege. Have a wonderful day. You too. God bless you. Thank you for joining us here on Janet Mefford today. We appreciate your listening and we'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford today is brought to you in part by the new documentary, The Jesus Music from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters, now playing. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie.